0: Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkofsky. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey, self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com slash book. Thousands of you have read and dove into The Gift of Self-Love. The reviews are just incredible. So many five-star reviews, and I'm so forever grateful that it has touched your lives in such a big way. After publishing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I noticed that many of you asked me for a tool that would help you build a daily practice of self-love into your life, which is why I decided to create a new self-love journal, 100 Days of Self-Love. It's got 100 journaling prompts that cover all areas of life—body, identity, purpose, relationships, emotions, and more. So you can think of this as a metaphorical multivitamin for self-love. You can get the journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to com slash journal. These two books, The Gift of Self-Love, The Workbook— And 100 Days of Self-Love, the journal, are complementary to one another, so the content does not overlap. It just depends on what you want or need at this point in your life. It's my mission to share all the self-love tools with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can help you do just that. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Was that such an awkward start? I feel like I just yelled
1: Sarah. <laughs> I feel like it's hard because like we're acting like we just walked into the room together and we've been sitting here for 20 minutes trying to get the audio That <laughs> and we have
0: been together for the past two yeah. days. So we've been shooting the shit this whole time. Yeah. And when it comes to actually recording the conversation, also this is my first in-person recording in an actual studio that's not my boyfriend or my little sister. And we like <laughs> shared a mic Mm-hmm. when I did it with them, and we, like, talked into one little mic. So here, I feel, like,
1: very… Professional. Yes. Yeah, we're legit now. Like, we were just saying… I big could, time, baby.
0: Yeah, I can <laughs> tell why, like, these weird dudes turn on their microphone and then say stupid <laughs> shit, because this setup kind of makes me want to say stupid yeah, shit. Yeah, it makes you
1: feel, like, overly confident. Yes! <laughs> what is that? It's the same. We just got our nails done, so it's, like, the… I feel so put together and professional that I could run for president kind of feeling.
0: Exactly. That's exactly how I feel right now. But we're not here to run for president, unfortunately. (laughs) We are here to talk about food and body image during the holidays because I think that's such an important conversation for my listeners to have. And when I was thinking about like, who can I bring on the show to talk about this transparently? You were the first person that came to my mind. I texted
1: you and I'm like, why haven't you ever asked to be on the podcast? (laughs) I think you have to back that up though with that. I asked you directly how I should promote myself to get on more podcasts. And then I didn't ask to be on yours. So I woke up with a message from you at like, one in the morning, one night, that was like, Sarah, why haven't you asked to be on my podcast?
0: Well, I was wondering if that's where you were leading into when you had asked
1: me. No, I would have just asked you flat out. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm happy that I had to beg for you to come on. <laughs> First, let's back up. How did we meet?
1: Well, I met you like five years ago following you on Instagram. And I was like a big, I think I followed you for five years. Five years? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like as long as I've had an Instagram. So.
0: Oh my goodness. That would be
1: 2017. Was so Was yeah. I
0: disordered back then or was I better?
1: I never knew you in, like, your bodybuilding days, okay. but I think it was very, like, mid-recovery, probably, mm-hmm. from what I remember. I remember, like, the side-by-side kind of comparison photos of, like, the bodybuilding versus now kind of thing.
0: Back in the
1: day. And, like, your long, straight hair, which I just think about those pictures, and you look so much younger in them to me. So I've known who you are for a very long time, but obviously we haven't been friends for that whole time actually one of my followers on Instagram that I kind of became acquainted with shared one of your posts about your retreat on her story one day. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, have you been like I've followed Mary forever? I love her stuff. And she was like, no, I'm going like, you should apply to this retreat. And this follower, this now friend of mine had been like someone that I'd really connected with. So I was like, okay, I trust her. And I applied for your retreat. And there's only a couple spots left. And it was like the exact like, spot and like bed setup that I wanted. So I was like, okay, this must be a sign that the only spots left are the ones I would want anyway. And I applied, expecting to have like a couple days to even think it over if it was the right step for me. And you responded immediately, and you're like, perfect. You're in. Let's go. I did like, I
0: respond right away? Yeah,
1: I think in like 20 minutes.
0: I never do that. And I, but I love that I did that for you. I
1: called my partner at the time and I was like, oh my God, like, should I do this? Like, it's a big step for me. And he was like, well, is it a scam? I was like, no, oh it's not a scam. Everybody always thinks I that. I know. I know. I was like, no, I've followed her forever. Trust her. And I was like, to hell with it. Let's go. So I must went have to your looked treat.
0: you up on Instagram.
1: I bet. Yeah. And instantly
0: felt connected to you. And Aww. that's probably why I responded right yeah. away. So the retreat was a year ago and also yeah. the person who connected us kind of virtually also came to the retreat. yeah, Elle, yeah. we love you if you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. We love you so much. And now like a year later, it's been so cool like getting to know you as a friend mm-hmm. and watching you grow. And I just am like so enthralled by you and the message that you share online because first of all, I agree with everything. <laughs> and like I learned so much and it reminds me of like, oh, this is what I really want to share if I wasn't like so chaotic and in my head. (laughs) (laughs) And we've obviously talked a lot about like content and the work Mm -hmm. that we do and everything. But one moment that we had yesterday that I want to shine light on here is we were thinking about where to go to lunch after our hike. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, there's this place that has kind of like wellness, healthy food. Cause I love like a colorful plate. I love Mm -hmm. salads. I love veggies. I love roasted
1: yeah, and we were bonding over that. Yeah. I was like, that's what I'm in the mood for, like a nice, like… But we didn't know what to call that. Yeah, we didn't know what to call it that wasn't, like, diet culture because we didn't want to say, like, healthy food because that word feels so tainted almost or, like, balanced yeah. almost feels tainted as well. But we were in the mood for a nice grain and some veggies and some fruit, like those kinds of foods. Yeah. I don't even… I'm tempted to call them whole foods, too, and that still feels, like…
0: It doesn't feel not right. Not right, yeah. So we didn't come up with anything. No. Maybe whole some food… Yeah, comfort food, nourishing
1: comfort food. But that feels like… Nutrient-dense is like the closest I can get. And that's not really like rolls off the tongue. That
0: just feels (laughs) like we're trying so hard.
1: Yeah. Well, that got us to thinking
0: about like what is life like after recovery? Mm -hmm. And I would love to know what that's been like for you.
1: Yeah. So it's been interesting in like probably 2022 for me where 2022 I think is the first year of my life since I was probably, God, like seven or eight where I'm not, like I'm completely not actively dieting, exercising for weight loss, anything like that. Like this is the first full year for me. So it's been really present on my mind, like thinking about how life is so different now. And we were talking a lot yesterday about how a lot of like being quote unquote, like through recovery, I don't even want to call it like done with it because it never really feels like you're done, done. But being through it is like you kind of just forget a lot of what it was like because a lot of recovery is just not doing the disordered behaviors anymore. It's lessening how much you think about food and lessening the obsessive mindset towards exercise. And like we're talking about how I used to plan out like two weeks in advance in my planner in college, like I'm going to the gym these days and the classes at the gym these days and like I'm doing bar and yoga and all this stuff. And planning out my meals for the week, like on Monday Mm -hmm. for Friday, I knew what I was eating and exactly how many calories it was. So so much of recovery is just like doing less. You can forget what it's like sometimes because you're like, oh my gosh, I used to spend so much energy and now I just, I just don't. I don't even do like different things, I guess. I don't obsessively think about anything else either. I just have like more space in my brain, I guess. And it's so easy to forget sometimes like what that was like for us.
0: Well, because it's the undoing, like you're not doing anything new or different. You're Mm -hmm. just like undoing something that you've been doing for so, so, so long. Yeah. And the brain space, like the available brain space, like what do you fill it with now?
1: Mm. I love that question. I feel like I fill it with things that really nourish like my soul. And I think that sounds a little like woo-woo because I'm really not like the most woo-woo person. But I feel like when I say soul nourishing things, I fill it with more level-headed thoughts about like how I want to interact in my relationships and how I do want to take care of myself. But that's expanded so much from like what I'm eating today and how I'm exercising today to what do I want my overall lifestyle to look like? And like, what do I want my wellness habits long-term to look like? And what do I want to get out of them? Like, how do I want them to make me feel? And that includes a lot of like mental health practices as well, of course. So I feel like I fill that space with a lot of Mm self-compassion and also other activities that you just don't have the time or energy for when you are in an eating disorder where Anything from, I just started reading for pleasure again this year. Like I was showing you yesterday. Sarah
0: read 50, over 50 books this year.
1: Yeah, which compared to last year is probably like five, maybe, maybe. And I started reading for pleasure. So like fiction, like novels, rereading books from my childhood that just make me like happy and feel good. And I didn't even have like the mental capacity to do that in the past because all of my thoughts, all of my mental energy was consumed by planning out my meals and planning out my exercise and forcing myself to go to the gym and in college, like weighing my GPA to figure out if I could skip a class, if I could afford to skip a class so that I could go to the gym. It's like a constant equation that you're doing when you're in that headspace to make it all add up and to make sure that you're constantly doing what you feel like is quote unquote right yeah. to get you towards your disordered goals. So things like reading for pleasure are just like relaxed forms of movement like yoga and going on walks and spending time with my family. Like mm-hmm. I have such better relationships with my family these days because I'm just nicer to be around and like I want to be there and I have the energetic space to really know my parents as an adult that I can mm-hmm. relate to and know my sister, my older sister like that too. So
0: Yeah. It's like back then we used to treat our body and our lives and ourselves as like a math equation, Mm -hmm. like constantly.
1: Mm -hmm. And I remember. And I'm not good at math. So tiring.
0: (laughs) I do love math. I will push back on that. I'm like a little calculus geek, but. I remember, like, we went on a hike yesterday, and I grew up in Arizona. Hiking is, like, a really big thing here, and I always loved hiking, but I would never go because I couldn't measure mm. how many calories I mm-hmm. burned during that hike, even though I knew it was a physical activity. I knew it was strenuous. I know, like, you can go on a tough-ass hike and sweat your balls off, but I still wouldn't because I couldn't, like, exactly measure that, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't go on a hike unless I already finished all my other workouts, and then the hike would just be, like, a bonus. Yeah, yeah. And that obviously reflected in so many other areas of my life too, which is so sad. Mm -hmm. Like so sad. So we're talking right now on going into the holiday season. You said earlier, like right Mm -hmm. after Thanksgiving, people are horny for Christmas. (laughs)
1: That's exactly what I said. I stand by it. People are literally, they're not excited. They're straight up horny.
0: (laughs) But I feel (laughs) like we like the idea of Christmas and holiday season more in theory than in Mm -hmm. practice because Mm -hmm. then in practice it's, so daunting and overwhelming like there's holiday travel there's like all the kinds of flu sickness there's like your family family, (laughs) and there's food Mm -hmm. and a lot of people have food anxiety of all sorts and I think one thing that I've noticed is that in recovery or post or as you're just kind of like living your life and it feels like the disordered stuff is kind of behind you sometimes I think people like do the right things like they're like okay I'm eating enough Mm -hmm. whatever that means I'm moving my body in a way that feels good I know the things I kind of know how to apply them but there's some maybe like lingering thoughts or I won't refuse the quote-unquote bad food that I wouldn't let myself eat earlier but I still kind of feel guilty about Mm -hmm. it so you did a post earlier about food mindset Mm -hmm. what is that what does that mean
1: Food mindset for me is something that I feel is essential to what we call eating healthy. Like we often are so obsessed or concerned with eating healthy. And I think that what a lot of us forget is that part of eating healthy, like having a healthy approach to food is not just about what you put in your mouth. It's about what you think about what you put in your mouth. So when we're in eating disorders or even when we just have disordered thoughts or we just live in the society that we live in that honestly has a lot of disordered mindsets towards food itself we forget that that's a big component. So it doesn't really matter, in my perspective, if you can make yourself eat the salad if you feel like you're only allowed to eat salads. Like it's not a healthy meal through and through if you don't have a healthy mindset towards it. So food mindset for me is a lot of self-trust. Like if I really had to pick one kind of buzzword to put behind it, it's self-trust, where regardless of if you eat, you know, the stereotypical good and bad food, so let's say like a salad and pizza, or salad and a hamburger. You should feel equally trusting in yourself that you're nourishing your body and your soul, whether you're eating the salad or the hamburger.
0: You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that food mindset, I think it's just a little bit harder to apply because Mm -hmm. those are like the thoughts. Yeah. So what do you do when somebody says like, I feel really guilty for what I ate, like Mm -hmm. holiday meal or Mm -hmm. like, surprise I don't know cookies at the office Mm -hmm. or all that time off also like the inconsistencies in schedule like reflects an inconsistencies in eating
1: like what do you do and movement as well I feel like during the holidays we're so much busier with Christmas shopping and family stuff that we often don't have the regular time to move our bodies which is a huge part of that constant equation we're putting ourselves through Mm -hmm. when we're in those disordered habits because we use movement to work off our food essentially to earn our food So if someone said that to me, especially like one of my clients, I have actually a winter intensive that I'm running right now with my clients. So we're specifically working together on our food mindset, our body image, and our movement practices through the lens of the holidays because it's Mm -hmm. such a hard time for so many of us. And I've had clients say this to me already, like we just had Thanksgiving. And something that I've really found is valuable to remind them of is something that seems so simple in mindset, but something that we've forgotten for a very long time, maybe since we were children, is food is so much more than that. And people say, like, food is so much more than fuel. Like, food is not your enemy kind of thing. Like, all those hashtags on Instagram. But especially through the lens of, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas or whatever you celebrate in the winter holidays, we use food as so much more than calories in the sense that we use it as culture and family and connection and comfort and satisfaction. And for me, food during Thanksgiving, for example, is nostalgia and connection with my grandmother because she makes the same dish every single year. And it's comfort because I know that that meal is going to be served. And when I'm eating it, I'm going to feel surrounded by people that I know love me. So really examining their holiday experience, almost zooming out, if you will, to see what food gave them access to, whether it's the memories they made or the culture they were able to celebrate or bringing them closer to the family that they only see once a year. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to feel guilty for enjoying those pleasures of life.
0: Yeah. What if those are like the positive Mm -hmm. other aspects of food and eating? But what if somebody's experience of food and eating is stressful and anxiety-ridden and grandmother's pie is associated with, I don't know, the family fighting or like—
1: Grandmother's body shaming. (laughs) Right.
0: I know. And that is so common. One thing about me— That a lot of people don't know is that my dad is a severe binge eater. Mm. Like, severe. I could do a whole podcast episode about my dad's binge eating because it's so related to like money and then growing up in an orphanage in the former Soviet Union. And my dad will binge eat raw potatoes. Like Mm. that's the kind of like food scarcity like stuff. And I remember, like, to me, food, for example with my dad is he's never bought me anything in my life. Like the one time I needed underwear because I started my period, he got it from Goodwill. But when we went to the grocery store, our grocery bill would be so high. I would be like, how are we affording this? How is this possible? I'd feel so guilty, like just buying like veggies and the amount of ice cream that this man stocks up on and eating ice cream out of the pint while watching TV, and I remember it was like the Rocky Road chocolate chip with the mm. marshmallows, you know, that was like the go-to, the ones with the almonds. Mm-hmm. And I cannot even look at that ice cream because it makes me want to like throw up and think of my dad and all these yeah. emotions. And I think that a lot of people might be experiencing that during the holiday season. And like mm-hmm. I used to go see my dad during the holiday season. Like that was my time with my dad mm-hmm. with custody and whatever. So it is something that I've been thinking about because… I think it's like really easy to say like oh food is wonderful and like mm-hmm. I'm sorry we spent forty bucks at lunch yesterday eating this like beautiful yeah. meal and like that's not a lot of reality especially like daily reality mm-hmm. like even some of the more privileged people like we don't mm-hmm. always eat like that. I think for me it's like well I really believe in the I am Muvu like more so than mm-hmm. I think I'd like to admit. I often think about like the metaphysical aspect of food mm-hmm. so like you said, food isn't just about what you're putting in your mouth. It's also about like what you're thinking and feeling during that too. So with that, I'm like, well, my digestive health is going to be better if Mm. I feel good about what I'm eating. And we talk about like this intersect between health and like being quote unquote body positive or Mm. like non-diety. And I always think about like what experience do I want to create?
1: Mm. And that
0: doesn't mean that I'm always like happy when I'm eating and I never eat when I'm sad or stressed or whatever because obviously that's very healthy too but I do like every single time I eat I just try to consciously make it like consciously make it a positive experience like even Mm. if it wasn't in the past I'm gonna do what I can to make it that way now whether that's like making myself a pretty plate and like cooking for myself and making it look nice or eating at a place that I actually like and not kind of cutting corners with my cravings yeah I try to make it like a positive experience now to the best of my ability.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like something that's coming to mind for me is just like with a lot of my clients, of course, I want to tell them like, oh, like view food as culture and memories and and family and all these happy things, but when we're kind of starting out of unlearning that mindset of food being the enemy or food being the bad thing is I do think that there is a step along the way where you really just have to see food as physical fuel. I kind of hate the hashtag of like food is fuel because I feel like it does really simplify and it makes food a positive thing, but it still only makes it the physical side of the experience. But I do think that there was a period in my recovery where I had to view food as a necessity. I had to view it as just fuel And once I had really gotten my head around the fact that my body needs it, my body deserves it, then I kind of moved into the, okay, food is fuel and it's culture. And food is fuel and culture Mm -hmm. and memories and all of that. So it's kind of like I'm visualizing a staircase in my brain of like starting at the very bottom in a disordered mindset and then seeing it as fuel as your first step and going up and up and expanding your vision of it, I suppose. But I also think that we spend a lot of time in that mindset in the beginning of like, we have to view food as fuel because like what you're describing with the negative emotions towards food, a lot of healing our food mindset is not just healing our mindset towards the food itself. It's healing what led us to this place in the first place. So like, for example, my family didn't grow up with a lot of money. So food was a stressful thing for us because I associated food with the bill that came every month from the mortgage company that sat on the kitchen table for everybody to see, unfortunately, including myself when I was young that was always telling us that we were overdue. Mm. And that was very scary. So I associated food with negativity in that way. So for a lot of my food mindset personally, and I've had clients who are the similar way where I had to heal my money mindset before I could really start to see food as a positive thing. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Because for so many of us, like you were talking about, it just, food is connected to financials or food is connected to our relationships. So healing Mm -hmm. the trauma that led us to that negative food mindset in the first place. For me, it was very financial and it was also based in my social relationships. I was bullied a lot when I was younger for being lower income and also what my body looked like. So I had to heal a lot of that side of myself too before I could see food as something more positive. So I guess if we're looking at this through the lens of the holiday season and the holidays are bringing up a lot of negative emotions or negative memories, because gosh, family can be triggering, I think that something that we really have to do during the holidays overall is give ourselves compassion because it's just like, I keep calling the holidays a case study because it's like, it's a congregation of everything you're struggling with. It's like your body image and your food and your family, like, and your finances because it's Christmas time and we're shopping. So we're so overloaded that we have to have compassion, but maybe this holiday season, this time around, maybe next year will be different, but this time around, instead of focusing on having a perfect relationship with food, you need to focus on- setting boundaries with your family or reading a book about money mindset in my case so that you can kind of lay the foundation for widening your perspective of the food and maybe next Thanksgiving will be different and you'll build on it and build on it and build on it and it'll get better over time I really love that
0: I like the staircase or the ladder that you described so I just want to summarize how I'm seeing it so the first part Mm -hmm. is Sarah just took a sip of water and spilled (laughs) it on herself and it's funny because we're trying to drink water quietly (laughs) <laughs> um, The first part of the staircase is like, I need to eat. Like, yes. I need to feed myself. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be in recovery successfully. Yeah. Unless I like feed myself. Right. Yeah. And then the second part is like, maybe how do I feel about what I'm eating? Like, what is this bringing up for me? And mm-hmm. then that leads to like all the other steps, which is mm-hmm. like these things. Do you believe in the saying? It's not about the food. Like, as a food freedom coach, do you think it's about the food or is it not about the food? Like, are you one of those people that's like, if somebody's struggling with food, I'm going to look at other areas of their life? Or are you like, no, let's talk about the food because food is there like 10 times a day, very often for us. Like, we need it.
1: So, in my coaching with my clients, I really try to take a diverse approach where we're going to tackle kind of all sides of that equation. So, I do really like to talk about the food specifically because I think my approach with them is really healing both their day-to-day life and making their day-to-day life easier. So we eat food minimum like three times a day. So really working on strategies to make that easier, but also looking at that bigger perspective and understanding. Sorry.
0: I love that you said minimum three times a day and I
1: was like 10 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Minimum three times a yeah. day. <laughs> Ideally three meals and two snacks in my perspective. <laughs> okay. Not 10. <laughs> Could be I mean- 10. 10 small meals, whatever you're into. (laughs) Maybe as long as you're eating enough. Yeah. But anyway, so I really like to alleviate the stressors of their day-to-day life. And we do, like I had calls yesterday with clients where we were talking about the six steps to release some of your present food rules. And we're talking, okay, like what steps are we going to take this week to tackle this food rule around pasta or mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving, all of those kinds of things. But then I do think it's so valuable to dig into, again, what led us there in the first place. So For example, this client that I had a couple of days ago, we were talking about the food rule around pasta. We made an action plan for this week because we met on Monday. What are we going to do Monday through Sunday before we meet again? And how are we going to tackle this food rule in real time? We're going to make pasta for dinner. We're going to monitor our mindset during. This is how we're going to make it accessible to us, all that kind of day-to-day stuff. But then we also had a deeper conversation of, okay, where does this food rule come from for you? And for her, it was a lot of like her family's culture. They don't really eat pasta in their culture. So she always viewed it as like a taboo food that she didn't really know how to cook. And then of course, in diet culture, it was also a food that's carb dense. So we viewed it as a bad food. So she had this label around the bad and good foods in her life. So we had a bigger conversation about where that good and bad, all or nothing mindset comes from. And I don't think that would have been as valuable for her to just eat the pasta this week if she didn't understand why she struggled with it in the first place. So I definitely think that it is almost always about more than the food, but I do try to take that approach of really focusing on the bigger picture, but also the smaller picture, the food itself. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really helpful to do both.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because you have to feed yourself day to day. Exactly. But you're not going to be able to do that with freedom. Like there's a food part and there's a freedom part. It's
1: almost like a paradox. Like it's not going to be easier to feed yourself every day until you start to work on your mindset. But it's really hard to work on your mindset when you're just struggling to feed yourself every day. So a little bit of both at the same time is kind of the sweet spot I've found.
0: I love that. Or in the wise words of Bo Burnham, a little bit of everything. (laughs) All of the time we watched that special last night. (laughs) About three years ago, I started putting together a playlist with uplifting, inspiring, and empowering songs. I originally did this for myself because I love music of all different genres, and every time I would notice a song that just made me feel good, I would add it to my self-love playlist, and now there are over 300 songs on my Spotify self-love playlist, and these tracks are perfect for when you're getting ready, trying to hype yourself up, or going through a struggle and need a reminder for how badass you are. If you love music as much as I do, then go to maryscupoftea.com playlist to get the Spotify link. It will ask you for your email so that I can send you this self-love playlist, and full transparency, this will also put you on my email list where I send out a monthly newsletter about stuff I'm thinking about, personal things, things I don't really share on social media, and all the happenings in the Mary's Cup of Tea world. So go to maryscupoftea.com playlist, and let's start jamming to my self-love playlist together. I want to know what has been the biggest struggle or obstacle for you to overcome
1: when it comes to finding your own food freedom. Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. <laughs> I think that the biggest struggle I've faced in my recent life cuz I feel like I've been quote unquote out of recovery for probably at least 2 years now. So probably in the past year of my life where I've finally found like a stable weight, like my body is Pretty much looked the same for the past year, year and a half. And I found more stability in my wellness practices. I've reintroduced a more mindful relationship with exercise. And I've got a really good food mindset now, a really strong one. Something that's been really hard for me is trusting that what I'm doing, even if it doesn't look like how it used to look, which was very rigid and disordered, is enough. Because I'm also in a body that Sometimes feel like it doesn't fit anywhere because I'm not flat stomached, typical skinny and especially not as skinny as I used to be, but I'm also not plus size. But I also, I don't know, I kind of have some qualms with the mid size label. I feel like it's overused and there's some erasure there and like, especially on TikTok, but Mm. I'm definitely someone that has thin privilege, but I'm also not thin. And I'm definitely somebody who is curvier, but I'm not plus size So knowing that I'm kind of in this in-between where I really can't put myself in a category with my body image and with my body in general, of course, food is one of the biggest ways that we influence our body size in the first place. So trusting that what I'm eating is what's right for me Mm -hmm. and how I'm eating and my mindset towards eating and then with that, the movement practice as well. So Mm -hmm. that's been hard. I was telling you the other day in the car, like, I love the stuff that's hard. I'm like a self-growth kind of junkie. So, like, when I think about it being difficult, I don't think about it being negative. I think it's a really good experience. It's been challenging. And I think it makes me a lot better coach to constantly be working on these areas of myself as well. But in my current life, it's been hard to trust that what I'm doing is what's right for me right now. And in my recovery journey, but also like lifelong as well. Like, I can't see into the future. I can't see myself at 80. I want to know that I'm eating the quote unquote right foods for longevity and heart health and all of these mm-hmm. things, but there's no way to know. So it's a lot of self trust there.
0: Yeah. I think, well, hold on. Let me back up to the midsize label. I want to know your qualms with it. I get really sad watching people fight over it and label themselves and like, get offended and angry at each other when we should be angry at the corporations who like created it for sales by excluding most of average looking people. Mm -hmm. So I think like if we were to go back and like clothing companies just made sizes, I don't know, whatever, zero to like 30 or 40 or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and just, like, very equally and neutrally, mm-hmm. and, like, we didn't have all this, then we wouldn't be, like, fighting over this. Mm-hmm. But I think in attempts for, like, everybody to, like, carve out their own space and find themselves and, like, look for style inspiration, whatever, like, I find myself searching for hashtag midsize style because, like, mm-hmm. that's just, like, the way I find people. So I don't mind when people use that label because it helps me find them. Yeah. And it helps me do a Google search. So I think, like, the internet has to do with it and everything. hmm I don't know how a plus size person feels. I know I have friends who said, I don't like the term plus size. I would rather you just call me fat. And then I have other Mm. people being like, well, I do like the term plus size because plus size also signifies that, like, maybe my proportions are a little bit different. Just like petite, it doesn't mean you're skinny. Petite means short, right? And there's like short and tall. And like, there's all these different. Exactly. There's all these different labels. So I know different people have different experiences with them, and I can't speak for anybody else. I personally feel like I'm so at peace, maybe this is my privilege talking, but I feel like I'm so at peace, like, I don't give a fuck what it is, just, like, Mm -hmm. let me know what to search and what to look for.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I know I have such a complex set of thoughts on this topic because I was also having a conversation with one of my friends who is in a bigger body, and I asked her, like, we were talking about the mid-sized label, exactly, and she was like, well, what are your problems with it? And I was like, well, I carry a lot of thin privilege, like, even though I don't have a flat stomach, like… I could suck in and pose for a photo and make it look like I do have a flat stomach. And on my dating profile, like I could make it look a certain way and I could truly benefit from looking smaller. So I almost feel inauthentic identifying. I don't know. Sometimes it feels like using the midsize label makes me forget that I have that privilege and I really want to be in acknowledgement of that. I also have seen, again, like you were saying, a lot of people just fighting over what that label means and I feel some sentiments towards it and the way it's it's presented on TikTok, and maybe not the idea itself, but the way it's presented specifically on TikTok. The same way I feel about the term body positive, where it's like, you know, I'm a white woman with thin privilege. Like it wasn't made for me. And so I've seen perspectives from all different types of people, but some of them are like, you know, like being a size 10, 12 is not mid size, And of course, everybody has a different definition of it, which is why it makes it confusing. But when you're a size 10 or 12 or whatever it is, like you still have thin privilege, dah, 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 and everybody has a different perspective on it. So I almost got overwhelmed of like, am I size? Am I not? Trying to figure it out. And I actually remember posting about this on Instagram and you commented on it. I can't remember what you said, but you and I were on the same wavelength of just, I just want to feel like I belong somewhere because for so long, it felt like my body was wrong. My body wasn't yeah. small enough. And now I'm just trying to find... Even if it's not midsize, like, it, it could be anything. I just want to feel like I belong somewhere, again, because it makes your life a little bit easier to search on Pinterest. Like, Well, yeah, because I can't just
0: search fall fashion. It's yeah. just going to be a bunch of very thin people. I'm like, it's not going to yes, look that way. Like, exactly. I need to search midsize style. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. It's the same way I keyword search, like, you know, midsize fashion, the same way I search, like, big boob fashion because I have oh, big yeah. boobs. Like, that affects what my outfit looks like. What about like.
0: curvy? How do you feel about, like, curvy girl fashion or
1: curvy jeans? I feel like… I don't know. I feel like a lot of the curvy models I see are still like they all… Like hourglass? Yeah, they all look the same. Like they are so unique in their own right. But as far as the modeling industry, like I still feel like they all look very similar. And they don't look like me because I have big boobs but narrow hips. So I don't really fit the hourglass look. I just have big yeah. boobs and a belly. So I don't know. With midsize, I just feel personally as a creator like yeah, that… It felt a little bit inauthentic after a while. It almost felt like I was capitalizing on something that I wasn't sure was made for me.
0: I don't think I'm understanding. The people who don't like the use of midsize, they think that midsize is bigger. I don't understand.
1: I think that what's happening, at least on TikTok, from what I've seen, because again, we're all in our own corners of TikTok, so everybody has a different experience. But what I've seen with midsize on TikTok is similar to what happened with hashtag body positivity where it was made for marginalized bodies so people of color people with disabilities people in bigger bodies and primarily you know women of color and bigger bodies and then it got whitewashed by thin white women
0: you feel like mid-size I feel like mid-size is just
1: becoming the same way and I am a white woman with thin privilege so I don't want to be a part of that so it's like I go back and forth all the time like I don't know there's no right answer to this conversation no for sure
0: we're digressing, but, but for yeah. <laughs> listeners, we're just getting in the nitty gritty of it because it's just, it's so important for us to get it right and not like yeah, absolutely promote something that's like yeah. maybe not yeah, kind. At the same time, I want to be conscientious of that, but I also like really don't like to get into like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. too in depth because I feel like at a certain point, it's like, does it fucking matter? And yeah. I'm usually not the person that's like, there are bigger problems in the world, but yeah. sometimes it gets so much that I'm like, y'all, like there are literally bigger problems in the world. Yeah. Like, why don't we talk about like again, corporations? Like, what about mm-hmm. corporations fucking profiting off of making us feel like yeah. shit? Why are we going at it with each other? With each other, yeah. Instead of being on like Whatever campaign promoting, quote, natural beauty, ageless. Yeah. Or like or, the whole,
1: um like, oh gosh, that girl Jax that wrote the Victoria's Secret song. Like, she oh, went yeah. for the company. She didn't yes. go for each other. We didn't go for each other's throats. She went for, you know, Victoria's Secret did me dirty by only showing me one it's, body type exactly. and telling me it's wrong otherwise. Like, yeah. that— Again, yeah, and she didn't make it
0: about herself. She Mm -hmm. enrolled a community Mm -hmm. of people who felt the same way. Like maybe it hurt some people more. Yeah, but that doesn't mean like she shouldn't have wrote the song. Like she created such a beautiful movement. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to food, this is a clunky segue, but I (laughs) I do want to know about like somebody navigating the holidays when food feels omnipresent. Hopefully, you have a home that's filled with warm cookies and just like good vibes in that way. When you're like surrounded by food and you kind of like don't know like, what should I eat? How much should I eat? Am I hungry? And you're getting like all in your head about what eating should look like amidst the inconsistencies in one's schedule. I did read something on your page about the four types of hunger. Mm, Yeah, Is this an approach that could help? this situation.
1: Yeah. So I actually did a holiday focused masterclass about just our body image and our food mindset during the holidays. And I kept the masterclass really short, which it is free and on my Instagram if anyone's listening to this and you're interested in it. But I wanted to keep it really short. So I really just covered two key topics, which probably seem unrelated until you watch the masterclass. And they are the four types of hunger and boundaries, like setting boundaries with your family. And they sound like they're disconnected, but... The reason they're so connected is because holidays are food and family, very yes. heavy, and those two overlap a finances lot. finances,
0: and family. I love yeah, the way you said that. finances
1: too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the four types of hunger is what we are not taught in school. Like, I wish we were with so much of this stuff. But basically, the four types of hunger is the one that we know the best, which is physical hunger. You know, is my stomach grumbling or not? Or is my body in need of macro and micronutrient energy or not? And that's really all we're taught hunger is. Frankie. Yes. Yeah. Am I, am I hangry or not? So that's physical hunger. That's number one. And the other three types are emotional, practical, and taste. So those four, all four of them are so present during the holiday season. And I'm going to just glaze through really quickly what each of them are. So again, physical hunger is like, does my body need chemical energy essentially from food? Practical is like imagine you are at work and you know that you're about to go into a two hour long meeting and you're not going to have an opportunity to eat, but your regular lunchtime, like when you normally get hungry, is going to fall when that meeting is going to be taking place. So you eat something beforehand mm-hmm. so that you can be present and mindful and not thinking about food during your meeting. Like that's practical hunger.
0: But you don't have to be like starving. No, you don't to even have to that. be hungry.
1: Yeah. It's just, It's almost like self-care. Like you're looking, yeah, proactive. You're looking into your future and saying like, what's going to be better for myself in the next few hours, in the future, in the next few hours. Taste hunger is my favorite. (laughs) Not just to teach, but to practice. (laughs) Um, Taste hunger is when you crave a food, not necessarily because you're physically hungry, but because you want the taste or the texture. So like flavor or texture. So I want potato chips because I want something crunchy right now. Or I want pizza because I want some salty, carby something. So that's taste hunger. And taste hunger is often confused as like board eating. We call it board eating a lot because we assume like, oh, I just can't stop thinking about potato chips, but I just ate lunch. You must just not have willpower or self-control mm-hmm. or you must just be board eating. People say all the time. If you're time, hungry, eat an apple. Yeah, if you're hungry, have a glass of water. Oh my God. <laughs> if you're hungry, you're thirsty. Yeah, that's my least favorite one. But taste hunger is… It's just part of hunger. It's part of our human experience with food. And when you honor your taste hunger, you're actually less likely to have a negative food mindset and less likely to binge eat because you honor your cravings when they come up. Mm-hmm. You don't wait and wait and wait to honor them, which results in a binge or results in massive yeah. guilt that comes with the binge or things like that. So that's taste hunger.
0: Can I just pause
1: right yeah, there? Like a testimonial to that. I feel like that's the one people are most resistant
0: to because like you said, mm-hmm. that's like the board or that like, I shouldn't be eating this. So much shame. That's where all that yeah, yeah. food guilt comes up. And I just feel like this is one of those things like, at least for me, I could not get that overnight. I almost had to like restrict, feel guilty, not like myself, whatever, binge and then be like, damn it, I should have just had the damn chips. Yeah. And you do that enough times. And then one day you have the damn chips and you realize like, oh my God, I'm not binging. And that's when the aha moments happen. Mm -hmm. So I feel like. People can listen to this podcast. It could make sense. But then when you're actually practicing it, all this stuff comes up and it gets overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be mistakes or not mistakes, but just like learning. Bumps in the road. Yeah. They're just going to be like learning experiences where you're like, oh, fuck. Like I did that restricting thing again and fuck. It led to another like binge or shitty feelings about myself. Like maybe next time I'll do different. And like, you have to like keep reminding yourself of that promise you made to yourself Mm -hmm. the last time Mm -hmm. whenever it happened. Yeah. Because I just feel like that's something that took me like so much time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a food mindset course. If anybody's listening to this and they don't like, you know, familiar with my work already, I have a food mindset course that is all pre-recorded lectures. And one of the pre-recorded lectures is about binge eating. And the way I design my course is to (laughs) validate the visual learners like myself. Like I'm a very much a visual learner. I need a diagram for something to make sense for me. So in the binge eating module, we have a visual of the binge restrict cycle, like exactly what you're describing. I restrict and then I binge, but because I binged, I feel so guilty that I restrict again. And it goes on and on and on. And I literally have that drawn out in the course because sometimes you just need it explained to you or shown to you for it to actually make sense to see like, no, this isn't just a shitty habit that only I have. There's a reason for this. And the only way to intercept, you know, not the only way, but a really good way to intercept that binge restrict cycle is to stop the restriction because the restriction leads to the binging and it goes on and on. And honoring all the types of hunger is a fantastic way to do that. Mm -hmm. And I know that we've already had Thanksgiving, but something I thought was so interesting going through Thanksgiving this year as a full time coach is Thanksgiving is like a planned binge in our culture. Like we fast all day, fasting synonym for restricting. We fast all day. For that Thanksgiving meal, either in the late afternoon or the evening. And then the meal itself is a binge where we have been looking forward to it. We've been obsessing over it. We've been planning it. Literally, we knew what day it was going to be on this year. Like, we knew it was coming up.
0: Some people, not just all day, like all
1: week. All all month. All all year. Yeah, it's on our minds so much. And then we have the binge. We eat every single food on the table. And we eat so much that we feel physically sick. Like, that is… Yeah, and then there's that's a plan memes binge. on binge. Yeah, and then because it's socially accepted, like drinking. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Don't even get me started on alcohol. <laughs> so we have physical hunger,
0: practical hunger, taste hunger, mm-hmm. and then Thanksgiving has brought up a lot of binge eating, planned binge eating. Yeah. yeah. Well, resisting the planned binge yes, and exactly. then actually end up binging. Like we all know the cycle, whether it happens on a Thanksgiving or not. Yeah. It could be like a birthday. It could be Christmas. It could mm-hmm. be just like. Taco
1: Tuesday. We all have that. In college for me, it was a I know I'm going out tonight and I'll be drinking a lot, which means, you know, in college, like, oh, I'm drinking my calories. So I wouldn't eat all day. Yeah. So that was a planned binge. It was just binge drinking. So yeah, Yeah, alcohol ties in very strongly, especially during the holidays as well. But our fourth type of hunger Mm -hmm. is our emotional hunger. So this is one that's tied often to emotional eating. So people say, like, oh, I'm an emotional eater, which I think is very Individual, it's on a case to case basis because you might be an emotional eater, but you also just might be someone that's in the binge restrict cycle, and you assume that your binging is just a result of having again that lack of willpower. But emotional eating, the emotional hunger in definition is you experience a strong emotion, whether it's positive or negative, and you immediately turn towards food. So, oh my god, I just got to raise at work! Immediately, I need to go eat a whole bag of chips, or I need to go out to dinner and eat a surplus amount of food. Mhm. I want to emphasize that it's not always just the like I'm having a stressful week at work I want to eat comfort food because I do think that paired with other healthy coping mechanisms that type of eating can be beneficial. You seek comfort in food, that's okay. But the emotional response to food, that's our fourth type of hunger and the reason I include it in the course and in all my conversations about food mindset is because although it's not the coping mechanism you want to rely on every single time you experience a strong emotion, it is sometimes beneficial to you. And sometimes it's just neutral. Like sometimes it's just something that we do as humans. So that's our fourth type. And I really don't want to alienate or stigmatize the emotional response to food.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's physical, practical, taste, and emotional. Emotional. Mm -hmm. And how does that fit into like helping yourself have food freedom during the holidays?
1: Yeah. So again, the whole reason that this conversation about Thanksgiving and the planned binge is relevant.
0: And the boundaries you were trying, you were yes. going to connect Oh, we'll it. get
1: to the boundaries. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah, especially with family is because with the boundaries in the food, a lot of setting boundaries around food during the holidays is asking other people to not give their input on what you're eating or give their input on how you're taking care of your body. And a big part of that is food. A big part of that big mathematical equation that we're running in our brains constantly is like, Food minus exercise equals thinness, kind of deal. So, a lot of setting boundaries is being able to talk to other people about your food mindset and where it is at at that moment. But the four types of hunger fit into this because we need to honor all types of hunger at all times, but especially during the holidays because it's such a food focused time. So, how your four types of hunger might show up during the holidays is the practical hunger on Thanksgiving Day, even though you'll be eating more than usual later. I still highly recommend that you eat breakfast on days like that because your body needs the fuel. That's the physical and the practical. Your body needs the
0: consistency.
1: Absolutely. Even if it's a holiday, even if you will be eating more than usual later, the practical is recognizing like, okay, I want to be present with my family today, so I should eat breakfast because otherwise all I'll be thinking about is food. And then also the physical, like even if it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, you're going to wake up hungry. Your body still needs that consistency. The taste is where we release a lot of the guilt around the holiday food because, God, I know going into the holidays, like my taste hunger is so activated. I love savory foods like the mashed potatoes, the turkey, or the ham on Christmas for me is, or my mom makes green bean casserole. Like I love the flavors of that food. I do crave them. I do get excited for them. And part of me enjoying the holiday is me allowing myself the permission to experience taste hunger because... The food makes up so much of our day. So that's the taste hunger. And then again, our emotional hunger is recognizing like, it's okay to be happy and want pie. Or it's okay to be sad and seek comfort in your comfort foods. That's why we call them comfort foods. So Mm -hmm. having a food mindset that is grounded during the holidays is so important because it makes you actually able to experience your holidays. And again, I included the boundaries in that masterclass because a lot of having a positive food mindset is being able to talk to others about your food mindset because, again, the holidays are like a case study where we are the family, the food, the finances. We are so inundated with family at a level, a volume that we're not normally. Yeah. So we really need to sharpen those skills to articulate, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what my goals are right now. Here's what makes me feel good. Here's what makes me feel bad. Can you support me in that process? Mm-hmm. So I think that's really how it all ties together in my brain.
0: Yeah, I love that you call it a case study, too, because it's no longer seen as like a nuisance or like this daunting, awful thing coming up that you're going to have to deal with. And it's instead it's seen as an opportunity to almost like expedite your journey. Like Mm -hmm. this is your opportunity to practice all Mm -hmm. of this in a container with your family. And a couple weeks back on the podcast, I talked about setting boundaries with family members. And I just think it's so funny how whenever we come back into our family's home, we all like retreat back into- Regress. Yeah. We regress into the roles. <laughs> oh, like, I'm in high school again. <laughs> right? Like that meme of like, if you want to know if you're healed, spend a week with your family. Mm-hmm. And like, you realize like, nope, still fucked up. And I think that that's just, it's funny because it's true. And hopefully- For most people that it's like more or less manageable, not that bad. That's kind of the trade-off we take for having quality time with these people that we know so well and they know us. We're probably not the most pleasant to them either. Like Mm -hmm. I will be the first to admit that I can be difficult sometimes to the people that know me the best. But this is the container to do all this, to practice all this, to like come out of it and be like, oh my God, life and food and eating is so easy now Mm -hmm. that I'm back in my own Mm -hmm. place and space.
1: So yeah, absolutely. I see a, like a, a paradox with the holidays where it's like, I know this is going to be hard. And even for me, like, this is literally my job to help people with this every single day, but like, it's going to be difficult. Every single year is going to be difficult for a different reason, but I almost see it, especially right before the new year, it almost feels kismet to experience the holidays and you have the opportunity to look at coming out of it, ask yourself, like, what was hard? And that's your notes going into the new year of like, okay, like, it was really hard to articulate my boundaries or it was really hard to honor my taste hunger and not feel guilty. Now I have things that I know I need to work on and that's why I consider it like a case study. Like, it is a up-close and personal examination of not how you're doing in your journey, because I want to emphasize that it doesn't show if you're doing a good job or not. Again, the holidays are so difficult for everybody, I would say. But it's a really good opportunity to take some notes and say, okay, what came up for me? What Mm -hmm. came up for me and what do I need to continue to work on? What went better than expected and what was more difficult? Mm -hmm. What arose during that time that I can now take the notes and start a new list of goals or start a new approach or reach out to the right help? Yeah. Because you have this, albeit difficult, but really strong experience.
0: Yeah. I hope this doesn't sound like tone-deaf or like a humble brag, but the holidays aren't difficult for me. Mm. I don't know if it's because I just don't think about it as like that much different than other mm-hmm. any, any other day. I don't know if it's because we're Jewish and it's we don't <laughs> do like these big grand gatherings mm-hmm. in the same. I mean, we have our dinners but I'm just so lucky that our family is like so consistent about getting together especially Mm, my fiance's mm -hmm. family and then my own family is close by so like I'm just really really lucky to have my family close by so the holidays don't feel like that much different than going over to my mom's house on Monday night Mm -hmm. I wanted to say that like not because like you know it's not bad for me like everybody Mm -hmm. be jealous but more so like it doesn't have to be difficult like it's gonna be difficult for a few years and then there will be a time when you're like it's yeah. fine. This like, is yeah. I'm not thinking about it so much. Like it's fine. It just is what it is kind of thing. Like mm-hmm.
1: the Sarah Sarah. This is <laughs> this is reminding me of uh, a conversation that we had at the retreat. And again, I can't remember who brought it up, but that healing spiral of going through it. it was L. I bet. This conversation is tied together this with is, a string. This podcast is L. sponsored by L. L. <laughs> <laughs> We need to make sure she listens to I know, I know. But that healing spiral that she was describing, and it's, again, I'm a very visual learner, so if I explain this poorly as far as an audio experience, I apologize. But you go through an experience like Thanksgiving, or I had a client this year who was going through this at Halloween. Halloween was really hard for her. And she was like, I thought that I had made a lot of progress, and now I'm second-guessing myself because Halloween was so hard. It was really hard on her body image, you know, the dressing up, the going out, the drinking, all that kind of thing for Mm -hmm. her. And the holidays again are like this experience where they're going to be a different kind of hard each year, but eventually they're not going to be as difficult in those ways anymore. Because again, you're going through this healing spiral. This is paralleled to like the expression that like healing isn't linear. And I, someone answered for us on the retreat like, if it's not linear, like what is it? And she mm-hmm. described it as this spiral where every time you go around the spiral, you get closer and closer to your true self at the bottom but as you go around you hit on those same trigger points each time. Yes. So Thanksgiving or Christmas or your birthday or whatever it is, I don't know, the summer might be a trigger point for you, but every time you go around the spiral and you hit that trigger point again, you have the retrospective knowledge from the last time you went through this and you can build on that. And you yeah. build on it and build on it and you develop more and more skills and strategies to have under your belt the next time it comes up. So It's not that you're going backwards, it's just that you're healing at a deeper level. So there's Mm. challenges that are presented to you this time that you weren't ready for last time. You've essentially leveled up, in my opinion.
0: I love that so much. A poet or writer I follow posted about, like, what if you think about, like, how you only have, like, maybe 40 Christmases left. Mm. Or, like, only 50 more summers Mm. until you're old. Or only nine more summers in your 20s, Mm -hmm. if you're… 20 right now or for us you know we're like 24 25 like we only have four more summers in our 20s and like when we think about it like that it's just like a sense of gratitude and like yeah hopefully not in a scary like existential yeah. crisis kind say, of if you're
1: anything like me you're leaning towards the existential crisis with this conversation but you can <laughs> shift that mindset and absolutely see the gratitude in it because yeah. I love the summertime and I want to cherish those moments yeah
0: yeah and like the holidays could be similar like even if they're not the best thing in the world there's a very limited amount of them and mm-hmm. this will also pass like this time's gonna pass mm-hmm. you only have like one christmas dinner with your family one new year to party with your yeah. friends whatever that is for you it is special if we can like move past the food struggles get out of our heads like really trust ourselves and our bodies and just like fucking live be. our lives just be <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, I think that really pulls it full circle to the beginning of our conversation of like a lot of being quote unquote out of recovery is just letting yourself live and be and exist and experience life.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think this is a wonderful place to end. Yeah. Could you tell our listeners where they can find you, learn from you, sign up for your courses?
1: Yes, absolutely. So. I am Sarah in yellow on all platforms. I primarily use like Instagram and Sometimes TikTok. Sometimes she
0: wears blue and green. I have seen it.
1: <laughs> I actually think I wear more blue than yellow at this point just because… Are you going to change to Sarah in blue? Absolutely not. Yellow, oh my gosh. If we really want to get into it, I feel like I don't share this a lot. I'm Sarah in yellow because like yellow is the color of joy for me. Like I'm a very like sunshiny person both in vibe but also in like preference. Like I said, I love the summer. If I was a season. I am the summer. Yeah. Sarah in yellow, like I am in yellow. I am in a state of happiness and bliss. Like that's your aura. Yes, yes, exactly. I love that. Exactly. Sarah in yellow on IG and TikTok. Yeah, but I look really good in blue. (laughs) Yes, you do. And everything that I've mentioned, I think, in the podcast so far will probably stay available on my page for a while. So I've got that masterclass that's completely free. It's only 35 minutes. Even if the holidays are over, it's still really relevant information with the four hunger types if you want to learn those in even more detail and the boundaries I literally go through a boundary-setting formula for verbal and nonverbal boundaries. So whether or not you want to say something to a family member, a way to strengthen your relationships, which is always relevant. So that'll be in the little links in my bios, either on Instagram or TikTok. And my food mindset course is called Freedom University. And it is a pre-recorded course. It's a passive course, which means that you sign up for it and you complete it on your own schedule, which is I created it for that reason because not everybody has – consistent schedules they don't have a lot of time in their day maybe to work with me one-on-one so that course is there and when you sign up you get lifetime access so you can literally go through the course five times in your life if you want just to get the most out of it I'm also adding new modules and new lessons all the time always updating the workbook and we have a Facebook group which I'm obsessed with because oh I just love it we get to talk oh my god it is it's like uh it's the bridge between like one-on-one work and social media work. We're like, I want to know every single person that follows me. I want to be friends with them in real life. Like I want to know them at a deeper level. So the Facebook group is awesome because everyone can post. We can share our wins, our struggles, our successes, everything, our questions, especially our questions. Like you can literally ask me a direct question in the Facebook group. So I love the course for that reason. It's a new thing for me. I started it in September. So that is also available in all of my bios. And yeah, I think that's it, Mary, right? <laughs> I love
0: that. Yeah. Thank you so much for
1: recording so with much me in for person. Me.
0: Coming all the way out to Arizona to do this. Yeah, to be
1: fair, I came to visit, period. But <laughs> but it was But it started with the hey, do you want to exactly. record the podcast in
0: person? <laughs> yeah. And this was so fun. I love it so mm-hmm. much. Thank you so much, Sarah, for talking about yeah. like food and body stuff, family stuff. We touch so many things and I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy I know you. So happy I
1: know you I was just gonna say the same so thing. Crazy. Am I gonna cry for a third time today?
0: Can you please? <laughs> and granted, the other two times she cried because she was happy for me. That's yeah. the kind of person Sarah yeah. in Yellow is. Yeah, I love you so much. I love you too. One last thing before we farewell my self lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. You can do this by searching for the show Mary's Cup of Tea, scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on spotify there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want your feedback helps the podcast grow and as someone whose love language is words of affirmation your kind words mean the world to me thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love i love you all so much and i will talk to you in next week's episode